Alhamdulillahi wa kasa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazina astasama abad A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajimi bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim Wa ma umiru illa liya'budullaha mukhlisina luhuddin Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yusifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad Ala ala sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa salam There are three aspects to our deen each of which is required for our tazkiyah, for our purification. And we have to have each and every one of all three of them if we want to get the qurb, the nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we want to become beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first one is ilm. And that is why the Prophet said, al-ilmu nurun, that knowledge of the deen is a light that brings to light our iman and brings us close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But tonight we're not going to talk about the benefits of ilm. That's a topic that we have covered many other times. The second thing is amal. That not only must we have knowledge, but we must practice what we know. And the biggest reason for this is we can simply think that if ilm alone was sufficient for tazkiyah, then shaitan should have had the most tazkiyah of anyone because Iblis had the most amount of ilm of all of the jinn of his time. And if ilm was enough for maghfirat, if ilm was enough for forgiveness, then shaitan would be forgiven because shaitan has far more ilm than either you and I can have. So it means that ilm alone is not sufficient either for our tazkiyah, our purification, or for our forgiveness, but we must have amal on our ilm. We must practice our knowledge to make that knowledge beneficial. In fact, man amila bima alima, that that person who practices what they know, wadlathuhullahu ilma ma lam ya'lan, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bestow upon them even more knowledge, uh, the knowledge that they did not know prior to their practice. So the more we increase in our amal, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us our ilm. But amal is also something that we have talked about many times. What tonight I want to speak about is ikhlas. And that is what we recited the first ayah when we began, that Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran, وَمَا أُمِرُوا And the, we have not been commanded, the believers have not been commanded, إِلَّا لَيَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ الْهُدِّينَ Except that they should submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in each and every aspect of their life, purely with ikhlas, with true sincerity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this type of ikhlas is what was the real characteristic of the awliya, was the real characteristic of the sahaba karam, of the sulaha, of the ulama, of the pious, righteous, knowledgeable members of this ummah. And we are amazed that, just to give some examples of their ikhlas, that they used to make so much ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those people who used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much, who used to stay away from sin, who used to pray to hajjad regularly, they would say in Arabic, Ma abadnaka hakka ibadatik, that, Oh Allah, we have not worshipped you as you deserve to be worshipped, as it was your right to be worshipped. And those people who had so much ilm of the deen, and they had so much ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they understood him and his sifat and his asmal husna, notwithstanding that they would say, وَمَا أَعْرَفْنَا حَكَّ مَعْرِفَتِكَ That we have not known you as it was your right that you should be known and understood. That was their ikhlas. And it means that their ikhlas led them to humility. 
And in fact, Allah Subhanahu mentions this group of people of such a level of ikhlas in the Quran al-Kareem, where he describes a group of people, Kanu kalilam min al-layli ma yahjoon, that they are people who spend a very little portion of the night sleeping. Means that they are worshipping all or most of the night. And what did they do after the end of that night-long worship? And in the early moments of the dawn, they make istighfar, they seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was their ikhlas. We are people who spend the night sleeping and we're not able to wake up in istighfar. We spend our day sinning. And we cannot end our day in seeking forgiveness. They spent their nights worshipping and they ended their nights in seeking forgiveness. So this was the quality that they had. They were pure and they were mukhlis for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the first aspect of ikhlas is niyyah. The first way we can have purity and sincerity in everything we do in our life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intention. And that is why the Prophet said in that very famous hadith, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ That indeed the a'mal, the actions will be based on our intentions. And the pure intention that we have to have is that every single thing we are doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means not just ikhlas and ibadat, because most of us have that. Most of us, alhamdulillah, when we pray salah, we are doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have no other reason why we pray salah. But ikhlas means that every single second that we live, every breath that we take, everything that we say, every feeling that we feel, every desire that we feel, every thought that we think, every single action of ours, statement of ours, thought of ours, feeling of ours, desire of ours, should be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what these people were. They used to look and question their niyat in even the smallest of things. They were incredible people. And we are people who are so unaware, uncognizant, so heedless and mindless in the things that we do. We don't even look and pause to discover whether what we're saying or what we're thinking or what we're feeling is for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to give an example uh, of this ikhlas, and really this is an ikhlas Ikhlas is something that we learn from keeping the company of our elders. Ikhlas is something that we learn. You know, many times people ask, and sometimes even on this program, that what exactly do you get from that sohbat? What is it that you get from kunu masalikin? And I think ikhlas is a perfect example to illustrate this as well. That when we keep the company of the people who have ikhlas, we learn what ikhlas is. It's very difficult for me over the airwaves to explain this in words, but when we see their sincerity, when we get a chance to sit with the true, real awliyan mashayikh of this ummah, and we see how even the smallest of actions that they do, sometimes we're amazed that the smallest of actions, they manage to fill it up with the largest amounts of ikhlas. So much ikhlas they have in their lives. If you look, for example, let us start with the time of the Sahaba Karam, radiallahu ta'ala anhu ajma'in. Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, it's a very famous incident that all of us, many of us would have learned as children and people like me, we learned when we were young adults that when he was in a jihad and he, who was he fighting? He was fighting someone who was a sworn enemy of Islam. He was fighting someone from the kuffar of 
from the unbelievers who had left their homes and marched on the Mu'minin with the intention of eliminating Islam from the face of this earth, with the intention of killing and murdering the Prophet So he was fighting against pure evil. The greatest evil the earth has known in the history of humanity has been those people who draw their swords against the Prophet And why do I say this? Because remember that these are people who saw the Prophet They were people who had seen the Nur of Nabuat. They were the people who saw the Sidq of Nabuat. And even then they marched with their swords. And what type of army did they march against? Did they march against Nazis? No. They marched against Sahaba. They dared to raise their swords against the most noble and beautiful human beings in history. To see such a beautiful and noble enemy and to still be so hard-hearted that you draw your sword against them. So such an evil person, Sayyidina Ali anhu, in order to protect his deen, to protect his prophet, had to fight in a battle and was about, and was successful and was about to defeat one such enemy. And at that moment, that enemy fighter spat on the face of Sayyidina Ali Now his ikhlas is so incredible that he stopped. And he didn't strike the death blow. And the unbeliever looked up at him and was amazed and said, what are you doing? And he said that, look, before 100%, I was only fighting you for the sake of Allah. Otherwise, the life is sacred. I cannot take a life due to my own desires or wishes. Now I'm still 100% fighting you for the sake of Allah. But plus, plus 1%, I'm also now upset with you because you have spit at my face and therefore I don't have ikhlas. Allahu Akbar Kamira. So he stopped such an act. Now you would think if we were to use our uncle to understand this, it wouldn't make sense. We would think that how could you let him go? Maybe if you let him go, he may go and kill another sahaba in the battlefield. Maybe if you let him go, so, so many things can happen. But there's a certain barakah of ikhlas. And this is a very big lesson. That whenever we follow the teaching of ikhlas, it's never going to harm us. You see, sometimes we think that if I act with ikhlas, it's going to count, it's going to be counterproductive. It's going to backfire. I'm going to face a negative consequence. So Sayyidina Ali Rana could have taught the same way. That if I act with ikhlas, and this person will get up and kill my fellow sahaba. But he knew the power of the barakah of ikhlas. He knows that a mu'min has to be true to the teachings of his deen in every single moment. It's an amazing person. And this kafir, who was so hard-hearted that even seeing the Prophet seeing the Sahaba hadn't changed him, but the power of the ikhlas that a person could have for the deen, meaning someone who was the living embodiment of mukhlasin al-Huddin, that changed him. That changed him, right? And this is the power of ikhlas. So this is an example of ikhlas of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. If you take another example from the Sahaba Ikram, Sayyidina Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, again, very famous Sahaba, known to all of us, another very famous story that many of us learn in our beginning stages of Islam, that he is the commander of the believers, the commander of the army of the believers. He is the chief general, the chief of armed forces. And this is the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu's khilafah. And he sends a message by courier to Khalid ibn Walid. And the letter says, when he opens the letter, it says, that Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I'm removing you from command. You have two choices. 
either you can continue to fight in this army, but you will fight as an ordinary soldier. Now, there's not only am I removing you from the post of general of the entire Muslim army and commander of this particular battle, you will not lead any battalion, regiment, nothing. You will follow, you will fight as a private, as a simple soldier. Or if you want, you can come back to Medina Manawra to me. In other words, if we would just say it in American English, I'll give you a desk job back at headquarters. So Sayyidina Khamdan Wadid immediately gave over the head of the army, the command of the army to the person who was appointed as general in that letter, and he chose to fight as a normal soldier. Now at that time, because it was the time of the Khilafat of Sayyidina Omar, there were a lot of Tabin who had also entered Islam. And even the Sahabi Karam, who were in the Mujahideen, they were very fond of Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid, and the Tabin they were in love with Khalid bin Walid. And they couldn't believe that he was giving up. And so some of them asked him, but how can you do this? And he said that this has been the most easiest decision of my life. Allah Akbar. That was his ikhlas. It's the most easiest decision of my life. And they said, why? So because that very same Allah for which I was commanding the army, for that very same Allah I'm happy to serve the army. And actually this is an attribute of ikhlas, that the people who have ikhlas have humility. And what does it mean? It means that Sayyidina Khalid actually never wanted to be a general. He's happier being a soldier. He's happy not having that responsibility of being a general. But he would never be able to resign on his own, so this was an easy way for him to get that happier state for him that he can serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a soldier. So this was his ikhlas. In other words, basically, ikhlas means the absence of something called riya in Arabic. Riya means to do something out of show, ostentation, display, because we want to be praised by members of this world. And this is a very difficult thing. And riya also comes from something that we call ujub. Ujub means vanity and conceit. Shaykh Ashraf Ali Tanviri Ta'ala said that the last sin, inner sin, to leave a person is their takabur, and the last type of takabur, their pride and arrogance, and the last type of pride and arrogance to leave a person is their ujub, is their vanity and conceit. Because everybody has some attribute, some characteristic, some skill that they're proud of, that they notice, and because of that they have vanity and they have conceit. And because of vanity and conceit, they have real, they want people to praise them. And when they start doing things for the praise of people, then they lose their ikhlas. And so really, in some ways, even though it would seem to many people who may be listening that ilm is very difficult to acquire and it would take so many years of studying to become an alim, and it may seem to many of our listeners that amal is very difficult to acquire, it takes years to get istikamat and be regular and consistent on our ibadat, but I would suggest that ikhlas is the most difficult of all of these things to acquire. It's just when a person tries to acquire it, a person realizes how difficult it is to have this level of ikhlas that the Sahaba Karam radiallahu ta'ala on Majjumin had. But it's so critical that we have this. If we don't have ikhlas, even our ilm and our amal will not save us. This is another very famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which he mentions that there are going to be people who will be called before Allah SWT on the Day of Judgment. There will be a mujahid, and he will be called before Allah SWT. 
and then it will turn out that he did that jihad because he wanted people to call him, people to remember him as a shaheed. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is the reason why you went on jihad, so that you would be martyred and people would fondly praise you after you passed away from this earth as shaheed. And so it happened, people did remember you fondly as a shaheed, so therefore you have no reward. And because of this reality, the command will be given to the angels that take this person to Jahannam. Allah Akbar Kabira. That person brought the amal of jihad on the day of judgment. But because they didn't have ikhlas, they would go to Jahannam. So what's going to happen to people like me and you and us? Uh, we don't even have those amal. We don't have ikhlas, but we don't even have such an amal. Then an alam will be brought to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will also be told that you acquired this ilm because you wanted people to praise you, that you were a big alim, a big sheikh, mufti, alama. And people did that. They used to call you that and people used to look upon you highly. And then the angel would be commanded also to take him to Jahannam. He had the ilm. Imagine how many years he must have spent to get that ilm. How much effort he must have spent to get that ilm. But he didn't have a class. Now what's going to happen? Me and you, we also don't have a class. And we don't even have that ilm. This hadith always, every time we read it and think about it or share it with others, it, it just amazes us. Then a qari who is reciting the Quran al-Kareem, same thing that you recited so people would say you're a beautiful reciter. And people used to say that about you. Also commanded to go to Jahannam. Allahu Akbar. How many years you must have spent memorizing the Qur'an, practicing the recitation of the Qur'an. How many times he must have recited the Qur'an throughout his whole life. Had so much amal. So much amal. Much more than us. But didn't have ikhlas. It's also going to Jahannam. So when we read these hadith, when we, and we, we realize that ikhlas is something critical and ikhlas is something that we have to ingrain in ourselves at the very outset every letter of ilm has to be learned with ikhlas every single amal that we do every sajda that we offer every rakat that we pray every talk that we give everything that we have to do has to be done with ikhlas because once an amal escapes us without ikhlas there's no way to get it back there's no way to redo that amal with ikhlas now not only do we have so many sins that we can't undo, now we're going to have so many amal that we did without ikhlas that we can't undo. So in order to have ikhlas, we have to stay away from riyah. This is a golden step and a golden technique given, taught to us by our Mashaykh. That if you want to acquire ikhlas, you have to leave riyah. You have to stop concerning about what being worried about what other people are going to say. You have to stop hoping that other people will praise you, that other people will think fondly of you, that other people will think highly of you. And this was the attribute of the Sahabakram. Sayyidina Khalid was not did not in any way care for title or for status or for praise or being a celebrity mujahid. Because he didn't have that riyah, he had ikhlas. And even we can give stories from contemporary times, a very famous alim in the 20th century here in Pakistan, Mulana Khair Muhammad Jalundri was one of the most senior khalifas of Hazrat Ashfali and he migrated to Pakistan in a city called Multan, and he set up a mother, so that he was a very big scholar of hadith. And he used to teach the Sahih of Bukhari. 
and many people would travel from all over the country to attend his institute of learning just because they wanted to study the Sahih of Bukhari with him. Now one day he was teaching his students Bukhari, for which he is famous for teaching, and he's been teaching it for years. And he reaches a hadith, and he teaches the hadith, and then when mentioning the hadith, he mentions in itraz a question that can be raised about the hadith. And then he asks, the, he poses the question, and then he pauses, and then he was silent. And then after a few moments passed, and he looked at the students, and what happened was, was that he didn't, couldn't recall the answer to the question. He couldn't recall the response to a possible criticism that could be leveled against the meaning of a particular hadith in Bukhari. Now if it was somebody like me, as a professor at the university, or many other people who teach, and the mothers are people who teach, we would have, you know, done what we say in America, we would have winged it. We would have found some way to just kind of go around it because the students don't know any better, right? But Mulan Khair Muhammad only told the students openly that I've paused because although I can recall that there are certain people who have leveled a criticism against the Sadiq, I cannot at this moment recall the response. So then what did you do? He asked the students that why don't you reflect on this and why don't you think if you can come up with the response. So the students tried, a few minutes passed, no student could come up with the response. Then Mulana Khair Muhammad, because he had been teaching for many years, and many of his former students had been retained in that institute as instructors, as professors. So he said to the students, said, okay, what I will do is I will go to my former student who's teaching some other book in some other classroom nearby, and I will ask him. So the students were stunned. So one student from the back of the room quickly ran to the classroom and told the other teacher that Sheikh Muhammad Khair Muhammad Jalandri uh, is going to come and ask you the answer to this following, this, this criticism that is leveled against this, this hadith in Bukhari. So Malala Khair Muhammad Jalandri arrived and then he asked the student that, you know, I've reached this hadith in the book and I, although I do recall that this very famous critique is raised against this hadith, I can't recall the response at this moment. And the student looked at him, and he said, that, Sheikh, I recall that when you taught me this hadith, and when you taught me this hadith, and you mentioned this criticism, you mentioned that the response to this criticism was X, Y, Z. In other words, that was the ikhlas of the student. He could have said that, oh, of course, Sheikh, I remember it. Oh, here, let me take a look at it. I know it. He answered the question in such a way in which he kept the izzat of his teacher. Why? Because his teacher had so much ikhlas, therefore he was able to produce students with so much ikhlas. The ikhlas of Malana Khair, Muhammad Dalandur was transferred to his student. And this is a very big thing. And this is one of the biggest benefits, again, of sobat. That the more and more we spend time with the people of ikhlas, that is how we're going to get ikhlas transferred in us. Alhamdulillah, my own life, I was able to study from Mashaif and ulama who had so much ikhlas. It was, their ilm used to impress me. Their amal used to amaze me. But their ikhlas was what absolutely stupefied me. That these people led such, led such simple lives, led such humble lives, were so true and pure and sincere in their khidmat of the deen. And this is this ever important attribute that each and every one of us has to try to get as soon as possible which is ikhlas and Allah says in the Quran al-Kareem 
إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُخْلِسِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people of ikhlas. In fact, in another hadith, the Prophet said that Allah ta'ala's special love falls on that person who views him or herself, who views themselves as nothing, and others also view that person as nothing. That they are so self-effacing, they have no grandiosity, no ostentation, no display. They have nothing inside themselves. And even they've effaced themselves so successfully that even others view themselves as nothing. And many of the great ulama and sulaha of this ummah used to say about themselves that we wish to erase ourselves from existence. It's only due to the requirement of doing khidmat of the deen that we, we feel forced that we have to leave our homes and we have to teach or preach or educate or teach people zikr. Malana Qasim Nanotir and Imam Ta'ala used to say in Urdu that ham chupna chaate the makar aap log ne hame chupwa diya that I wish to be hidden but you people have published me in other words that you have put so many demands of the khidmat of the deen in front of me that I have no choice but to do the khidmat of the deen but their inner desire was to be a person who would be a secret worshipper a silent lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is the second way that we get our ikhlas is by becoming a person of secret and silent zikr and ibadat. That person who can secretly worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either in the night or in the day or at some point in their 24-hour day has a regular regimen of zikr in which they connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with one-on-one that is known only to them and their Lord, then because of the barakah of that zikr, that person also reaches this level of ikhlas. Because they will end up enjoying that zikr and ibadat more than they enjoy whatever activity that they do due to which people may praise them. And they will realize that the asl and the hakikat lies in their zikr and in their ibadat. So because sohbat, keeping the company of the people of ikhlas, and zikr, learning and being tutored in zikr by the people of ikhlas, both of these things are the foundations and the, and the basic essentials of this path of tazkiyah, then any person who follows on this path and fo- keeps that sobat and learns that zikr is bound to become a person of ikhlas. And finally, I will mention three symptoms that we can check in ourselves and see that if we have these symptoms or these signs, then it means that if there's a danger that we don't have ikhlas. And when we hear these symptoms, we're going to be very shocked to see how really present these symptoms are in many of us, if not all of us. Number one is that when we are alone, we are lazy in our worship. When we are alone, we are lazy in our deen. But when we are in the presence of others, we are active in our deen. If we are alone or traveling somewhere, we will be lazy in our salah. We will delay our isha until we feel very sleepy. But if we're in a gathering or we're present with others or sitting with others, we'll say, let's pray isha together. So if when we are alone, we find that we are lazy in our deen, but when we're others, with others, we're dynamic in our deen. Contrast this with the Sahaba and the Sulaha, that when they were with others, they were busy doing khidmat of the deen, and when they were alone, they would stand like pillars in the night, and they would spend one-third of the night, half the night, two-thirds of the night in worship. Second is sign is that 
We are happy when people praise us. We are happy when people say words that are favorable to us. Some, it doesn't even mean that we do things just for that reason or we will do something bad in order to acquire that. But this sign is simply saying that we, our heart gets happy due to the praise of creation. This also has to be erased. The only happiness we should ever have in our heart, if we can do something that makes us pleasing to our Creator, we have not been created to seek the to please creation. Now, obviously, every child wants to please their parents. Every student wants to please their teacher. Those things are natural. When I'm talking about creation, I mean the dunya. I mean people of the dunya. Not your parents. Obviously, you want to please your parents. You're supposed to please your parents. You want to please your teacher. But to become pleasing to worldly people, to become pleasing to strangers, that you want strangers to praise you, right? That is a second sign that a person lacks ikhlas in their heart. And the third sign is that a person has hasad. The third sign is that whenever you see somebody else doing something good or that something good has been bestowed upon them or they've been able to increase their amal of the deen or they've been increased their knowledge of the deen or they're becoming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Allah ta'ala is taking some khidmat of the deen from them and inside, deep inside your heart you're unhappy. So you're unhappy about the successes of others whether it may be a success of theirs in this world or a success of theirs in their personal amal on the deen or a success of theirs, an achievement of theirs in the khidmat of deen, if that makes you unhappy, that is a sign, the third sign, that we lack ikhlas. So if only we are, can be able to remove these things and make it our first priority to try to remove these signs to become people of ikhlas, and that we can do so by keeping the sobat of the mukhlisin, and we can do so by trying to engage in some khalis zikr and ibadat, some pure and dedicated worship and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is known to Him alone and known to Him and us alone, then inshallah subhanahu wa ta'ala we can also become people who are living embodiments of this ayah mukhlasin al-Hudin and we can also become the beloveds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he has said in the Quran al-Kareem inna Allah yuhibbul mukhlasin wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin